Welcome to Luther's Brew Brothers with Pastor Pat and Layman Dave, and we're talking today about the call process for a pastor and also what the responsibility of a pastor is, what responsibilities of a pastor mm -hmm. are. Uh, so, Pastor Pat, Chief, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer. Yeah, That's, there you go. That... Just, the, just the servant washing the <laughs> disciples' feet there. Whatever but, uh, and wherever and whenever. Yeah, exactly. yes, I don't know. Before we get going, what are you drinking today? Okay, man. I got a, well, it's, it, it's, uh, it's Oktoberfest kind of season. I know it's not October, but I learned this um, traveling in Germany, uh, well, for the 500th anniversary, that actually the Germans, Oktoberfest is in September. I'm not sure what the October comes from i didn't look it up but i'm drinking vorsteiner i should say yeah with a v it's a w vorsteiner it uh it's a it's a german beer out of munich and it's uh it's an Oktoberfest beer and i'm drinking it in september because that's when they're drinking it so nice. it's pretty good kind of a nice uh smooth lager well we are on the same page there brother because i am drinking hofbrau Oktoberfest. i know that beer one i know that one brown munchen brewery yeah you feel it's, like it's it's definitely an import i'll tell you sometimes that. you got to feel like you got to clear your throat when you speak to some of these german words yeah. you know like and it's uh pretty darn good i'd say it's pretty sweet i like it this is nice this is nice are you guys going to do anything for Oktoberfest? you mean uh buy some plane tickets and fly to germany <laughs> no not this like year. no you to fry you got that really cool barbecue we got to see yes yeah. uh, like you do some brats or something yeah or... yeah we we did some brats this last weekend for uh labor day. well Monday oh, okay. for labor day oh nice yeah and, yeah uh, yeah so we did some we did some brats and some burgers there but uh you know we'll we'll do definitely do some brats uh, and celebrate an oktoberfest kind of thing well german potato salad yeah i think they have something going on at church too for oktoberfest so get I, in on that you know what um I, I, you know, I've, I've accepted a call to a church, Emmanuel, in Chino, California. And one of the questions was, uh, what do I think about Oktoberfest? <laughs> nice. You know what they, you know what that means? That means yeah. they're ready to drink. And you know, i.e., i.e., are you okay with beer, Pastor? And it's like, well, yeah. And I told him, I said, well, I got this buddy and my brother, we, we brewed. And by the way, we got this podcast. Guess what it's called? Luther's Brew Brothers. So I said, yeah, I'm okay with that. You know, so, so then you accepted no, no the because after that, you just <laughs> immediately issued the call papers. Yeah, it was like, okay, this is a fit, Lord. I don't need to pray about this. You know, uh, it's weird, the whole call process. I know that's what we we're going to talk about today. And just the relationship, I think, too, of what is it, what is the relationship uh, uh, in unified, but also how is the distinction of pastor and laity and maybe even a little bit, I don't know how far we'll get today, but like, what does ordination mean and, and what does it mean to be called? So, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's an exciting time. Anxious. I'll be honest. There's always, I mean, I was at my, um, my prior parish for uh, nearly 25 years. That's a long time. Yeah. And you get used to things. And I mean, maybe that's some of the, what the Holy spirit, I, I think too, honestly, is just at work here is that, you know, uh, uh, time to turn a page, new challenge. Uh, you know, they haven't heard my stories. I, I, you know how the three-year lectionary we went through it like eight times. And it's like, okay, I mean, yeah, God always has something new to say. And I know, but you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, gosh, we've kind of, kind of done this, haven't we? Yeah. So anyway, you anyway, said, you said too, and sometimes in, uh, especially in our 
uh, our denomination, our synod, uh, we kind of shuffle the deck, right? You know, and that's and, the word. Yeah, that's the word shuffle. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know what I've come to realize, I mean, I, um, I don't know. I, I, my, my opinion is, has swung a couple of different ways through the years. Cause my, my first congregation, I was at a very short time in Chicago, just a little over two years. And they were, you know, fresh out of seminary and, and sad to see me go and like, why? And it's like, you've only been here a short while. And, and I understood at the time, this was uh, late eighties. That was normal. I mean, a lot of guys were there a couple of years. And then um, uh, my second call outside of Portland, we were there almost six. Uh, uh, and I say we, my, my wife and I, I mean, I understand I have the call, but she's my wife and mm-hmm. we're joined too by a vow. It's called marriage. One family. Yeah. Family. Mom, three of my kids were born there, but you know, and it's, and it's a, it, it, it's, there's pluses and minuses. I mean, to be at a place a long time, uh, yield some benefit. Uh, you grow up together. You, you supposedly or should learn trust and respect over all those years. And the shorter amount of time, obviously, you don't have those those same uh, stories. And uh, that that growing process, it's kind of neat to see, you know, kids that you baptized and confirmed, you know, you're marrying, you know, that's kind of weird. You realize you've been there a long time at that point. Sure. But then, you know, the other side is though, too, is you begin, you know, not hearing each other, you take each other for granted and some of that stuff. So, you know, maybe shuffling, maybe though, I don't know what's right. What the, the Holy Spirit's got, he's got this down. I, it's not up to us, but. Right. Well, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you know, Christ's church, it's not, you know, the church of Pastor Patrick or it's it's heck no, not built on my shoulders. I didn't die on a cross for anybody. It's it's the church of Christ and and so he knows what's best for the congregations under uh his care and he's gonna send the the under shepherd to those congregations that that bill and can take the congregation to that next level, next step into that next chapter. And and I believe that. I believe that, you know that Jesus is Lord of his church and that the Holy Spirit governs the call process, even though admittedly it may be somewhat imperfect in some ways. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, like anything that humans do, uh, even with the best of intentions, you know, there's the fingerprints of man in the old Adam can get in the way there too. Sure. So, I mean, I, I, I hear stories uh, where, you know, things get you know, backroom deals kind of thing. I, I don't, I don't know of it. I don't know how the sausage is made and I don't want to know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you hear these guys. I, I remember this one call. Uh, it was at the seminary and uh, this was a, we were all graduating, getting a call service and ordinations were coming up. This is 1989. And, you know, you're very curious. The seminarians is, they always say is the first and only pure call pure meaning you have absolutely no idea no (laughs) no connection to it nothing there's no paperwork to fill out no conversations just you you go where they tell you and they always say that's the that's the best and the purest call but it's also again in a practical sense why i think most of us didn't stay longer than a year or two because they were putting people places where it wasn't a good fit or a good match and i know we're supposed to say that you know, uh, you know, every pastor for any, any pastor for any church. That's like kind of like saying, 
any, any man for any woman that they can just learn to be happy together. Well, there's some truth to that. I mean, if you're Christians and you're seeking the will of God, well, if you're perfect. You, you, yeah, well, you make, <laughs> you make it work. And yeah, you can go in a pastor and you can say, well, I'm, all I'm supposed to do here is, you know, preach and administer the sacraments and, and I'm done. But, you know, there, I don't know, there's just uh, con- congregations have personalities and, and pastors do too. And some of those personalities mesh better than others. So I guess, um, I guess I've learned by experience 32 years that, you know what, it's not a bad idea that there is some question and some, some conversation or some input to the process. It seems meddling. It seems like, well, now, you know, we're trying to tell the Holy Spirit is business. No, it's just, you know, the Holy Spirit still figures this out. And I'm convinced God gets his way in the end. Well, yeah, uh, it works out according to his yeah. plan in the end. And, God's and it's done in, even in spite of us. In spite of us. Yeah, that, that well said. That's, that's what I'm saying. And then I get and then there's the other end, the whole other end of the spectrum where uh, my 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 wife, my my poor wife does not understand the call process because when you came out to visit us for the first time, when you were in Virginia, uh, you said, Hey, uh, take me over to the, the, the local yeah. Lutheran church over here. We and, like you, you and, come and, here. And at yeah. the, and at the time they didn't have a pastor and my wife goes rushing in and the, the secretary of the church is there to meet. And my, uh-huh. my, uh, my wife said, how do I get pastor Curly on the call <laughs> process? She, and we're how not do I control me- this? We're not even, they're not even members there. there. <laughs> It's just the look of God love Judy. So, so for her yeah, spunk her. and spontaneity. She, she, well, she's like, I love Pastor Curly so much that I'll join this church if he's here. If he call, if he comes, um, we'll go. Yeah, and, well, that's and, sweet. And I had to explain to her, honey, that's just not how the call. It's not process the process. Works. It's not no. the process. A lot of people think that pastors put themselves on call lists too, and maybe some do. See, going back to that that guy in seminary, I don't know how he got this like. If for lack of a better word, this like plum call, it was back to where he was from in Southern California. It was a a church that seemed to be financially healthy. So he was, you know, they tell you how much you're going to get paid. And I'm like down in the bottom feeders and he's like making out of fresh out of seminary. He's getting some good bucks. He's got like, I don't know if it was two or three weeks vacation. They gave me one. You know, here I got eight years of higher education. I think I was getting paid seventeen thousand five hundred in one week of vacation. And it's like, okay, I'm here to serve, Lord. Yes, <laughs> here am I. Send me. Okay, now, now you do me, it. You now, go. Now tell me they had a. Tell, tell me they had a a parsonage, please. No, they gave me. Um, I had a certain. Uh, well, you know how it is with a pastor. You have a certain housing allowance, so they gave me. Uh, within my compensation, they figured this is enough that he can get an apartment. And we did. Uh, it was a small place. I mean, in Chicago, we were definitely South Side and kind of, kind of gritty, kind of gritty. Uh, gunshots in the uh, window from. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! We heard oh, gunshots. <laughs> we heard wow. gunshots outside of our window. Yeah, not every night. Not every night. But see, not you know, for in a sense, I was okay with that. I was one of those guys that um, I kind of liked an urban edge. I didn't. It's a funny thing. I still remember in the 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 whatever interview process there was um it was dr mueller he said and lou's there too because they want to hear what the wife thinks he they already know where they're going to send you it's sure. just all going through the motions at least maybe they maybe now they pay attention but he goes well um 
Yeah. So what do you, what do you think? How about, how about Chicago? What do you think about Chicago? <laughs> he actually said it. And I'm thinking he's just throwing it out there. I'm taking him at his word. That is just the question. I said, well, you know, Chicago, you know, I'm sure it's a fun town and all that and good food and jazz, but you know, we're really hoping. And I thought I was being very generous. Hawaii. I mean, yeah, yes. <laughs> Send me to Paris. I'll suffer for Jesus. Yeah. Go to yeah, really Hawaii. Um, no, I said, I said it's Southwest because Lulu is from El Paso. Um, I met her on the Mexican border with the intention of going into Hispanic ministry, even though my language skills were still lacking, but I was willing to, to learn. So I said, you know, you know, we're really hoping to get me in a little warmer climate, you know, uh, South Southwest. And I'm thinking that's Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Southern California, Nevada, uh, you know, it's sure there's, uh, there's gotta be a church looking for a guy, right? So the call service, you know, Patrick Curley, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Chicago, Illinois. I go, you <laughs> Why didn't you just tell me you were going to send me to Chicago? Why did leave me to believe you cared less what I thought yeah. and where I wanted to go? You know what, though? I got to say, and this is where the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, even though it was a short time, um, I know I did some good when I was there. I know I touched some people. Uh, I did. And this is kind of me, the bottom line for me is when you have an acute feeling that you have said and done everything God wanted you to say and do, that's when you know it's time to move on. Mm. And so when the call comes, you know, and so pastors don't put them, I don't, I don't anyway, I don't know, maybe some do, but you don't put yourself on a call list. What you do is you can make yourself like you, 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 open. Yeah. yeah. You can say, I'm open to a call. And I guess there's three designations is at least in our district here. Um, there's not open. And that's usually a guy who has he or his family member, wife or children has often a medical condition where they cannot leave because of medical care. Or it might be something like uh, he's, he's started uh, a, a master's or doctorate kind of program or something like that. So he's, he doesn't want to leave. Um, so you, there's very few in that category. I think usually that not open. I, I cannot leave this present spot. Then there's open and then there's seeking. Seeking means get me the heck out of here. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I can hardly wait to leave. I mean, don't let the door hit you in the butt when you leave, you yeah. go. Um, so That's I, like I have, one step away from, I, I'm going to resign. Yeah. So, I'm going to quit next Sunday yeah. unless you find somewhere now, for me to that go. Brings up a good question though, is that, is it ever okay for a pastor to just like, I've had it, I'm going mm. to resign a call. I, and I don't, I don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, you hear stories and you hear things like that where, you know, pastors talk to pastors and there can be some difficult situations sometimes in a parish where for a variety of reasons, you just know it's time. Either you don't feel you're being heard. You don't feel you're being respected. Uh, they're not recognizing you as a leader um, some guys are okay with a maintenance. Um, I sometimes call it the, you know, the village priest, yeah, just give them your sermon, visit them when they're sick, bury them when they die. They don't really, you know, not much else going on. You don't have any vision for the, the, uh, the mission of the church, our, our purpose under Christ with the great commission guys like that probably just kind of plug along, but others that do believe that God has sent them there with, uh, uh, you know, a, a desire to reach the lost or to, to be mindful of the needy, be mindful of our neighbor. And that's where sometimes that frustration can 
build within when you, you don't feel that that's the, the, the support or the direction or the interest of the congregation. And so I, I, I've heard, I've heard guys, you know, hit that point. You know, I've been there myself where you just, you know, you're just kind of, you're just feeling, wow, this is just, this is just not happening, Lord. And, uh, this is, this is, uh, not what I signed on for. I remember my second call, uh, this is the one in Portland where for uh, three years, and I'm a missionary at heart, and every congregation, if they listen to me, knows that. That's just where my heart is at. That's what my calling was at. That's what I intended to do in my vicarage and so forth. Ongoing Ambassadors for Christ was a youth outreach uh, a group that I participated in routinely. I, we knock on the doors, and if you were to die tonight, where are you going to go to heaven? <laughs> you know, it's really we can go to heaven or Lutheran Mormonism, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a different time. It doesn't work now, but anyway, so that's always been my passion and what I believe to be the identity of the church. And so uh, my first church, I wasn't there all that long to even get, you know, fresh out of seminary. You're just trying to cut your teeth. Get your bearings. Yeah. Right. Second church. I really definitely started getting into my stride to say, okay, Lord, you know, you've given us your great commission, go and make disciples of all. So like for three years, I, had these like Bible studies and even sermon series and meeting with leadership, basically always trying to ask the question. And that's what I believe to be the style of my ministry has never been. Um, this is what we're going to do. I'm the pastor. You're going to do it this way. It's always like, okay, I believe we need to be mission minded. We need to be outreach minded, but I'm willing to say, I don't have all the answers. What do you guys think? So for three years, we had this process and we honed it down even to, uh, let me see, there was, uh, there was an outreach to the immigration population in Portland. There was a lot of people with the berry farms and stuff, like English as a second language. How can we help people, you know, uh, you know, towards citizenship, that kind of stuff. There was a retirement community in our area. We were going to do something with them as a, you know, take ownership and a partnership with them and helping the older folks and through their stages of life. There was a third one, and I can't remember, that's so long ago. But so this is like, I'm not kidding, like a three-year process, uh, honing this down. The big meeting where we were going to then decide as a church, and I'm thinking, again, everybody's excited. Everybody's, you know, we're going to pick one, and we're all going to buy into it and support it. Got a little money in the bank. You know, we're ready to go. The meeting came out, basically came down to uh, not so much pastor, but that's how I guys I took it. You know, pastor, I appreciate your enthusiasm. And, and your, your, your desire uh, to you know, reach out in the name of Jesus. But our priority is to focus on paying off our debt. We want to, you know, they, they own some money, uh, owed some money on the building yet. And there was some property on this square. So our reason for existing is keep giving us your good sermons and visit us when, you're, when we're sick and bury us when we die. And we're just going to kind of, that's good enough. We're going to pay off the debt. And it's like, what was the last three years? And all the, I thought everybody was excited and enthusiastic. Long story short, which is too late for that, but um, I knew at that point I was I was not in the right place, and you know that's uh, and God knew it, and He put it in my heart, and it was let me see, it was not even a year later that the call came that brought me to Southern California, yeah. which is where I was from, right? And uh, the church was looking here for a pastor, and um, I think it was like my my parents. They, you know, you put together a call list. That's how it works. Right. A congregation needs a pastor. They put together a call list. The district has names, but also individuals can add names. 
So my parents who are <laughs> live here, you know, they want their son and grandkids to come back. So they hear about this church looking and I don't know how it happened, but anyway, put my name through a guy um, and on the call list. And it just went from there. By the so, way, I was on the call list that called you to. You're on the call committee. I was on the call committee. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was on the call committee that called you to okay. St. John. So, all right. What'd you like about me? No, <laughs> you don't Dude, have to polish my apple. I don't meat. even remember. I was young. I, I was I cheap. Remember, I don't remember. I was willing to move. I don't remember too much about, I mean, cause it's so long ago. Like you said, it was, it's like 1997, almost, what, 20, 25, 26 years ago. Yeah, 1997. So it's hard yeah. to remember all that way back. But that's where, yeah. All, for I, me. all I knew is we, is that we put your name with other names forward and your, your name. Kind of some bit. Yeah. Well, see, the, this is what I'm saying. Vote, so this is what I'm saying. Is it the Holy spirit comes with a, you know, burning tablet with the person's name on it? No, I, it's very human. And I've come yeah. to love this about God. It's, it's God, this mighty, almighty, gracious God of ours that called forth creation out of, out of thin air. Out of, well, not even thin air, out of ex nihilo, out of nothing. You know, God can do anything, but he works invariably through the imperfections and foibles of his people. Right. And that can be terribly frustrating at times, but it can also be wonderfully comforting that God, you know, we're part of, we're, we're part of this, this process, this tugging and pulling grinding. So yeah, it's all this. I, I understood. Um, uh, I was on another call list. I heard this from a guy that knew me in, in, in Oregon and he told me, and I didn't get, I didn't get that call. And he, he even said, he goes, what I heard was there was a lady in the call committee and she didn't like something you said about a, a women's role or something like that. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm pretty open-minded about that. I, I don't know what, what you, what, what she would have meant by that, but all it took was one person well, that probably, didn't like something yeah, I said. She probably, she probably wanted women pastors. Maybe. I don't know. I said he, he didn't know the details, um, but here it is. How can one person like blackball a guy from his vocation, oh. his holy calling in yeah. the Lord, but it, it happens. And so we have to resign ourselves yeah. to say somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit is working well, and, and something good will come. All I remember was that we had a list and I think it was about, I want to say in the twenties or close to 30 different uh, people. And you, that's huge. Usually yeah. it's like three or four, maybe five. So your name was on uh, with like five other names. So I think we, if I remember right, I think we presented six different names to the congregation and your name was one of those six mm -hmm. and your, you, the vote was to you. See, that's different even too, because sometimes the call committee uh, vets the names and makes a recommendation well, we and did. they ask for the congregation to say yes or no. Well, I think but, we did. We went from 30 down to six. Well, that helped. Oh yeah. Oh, so, you would have never gotten through uh, a, a vote if you got, if you're looking at 30 names. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so, incredible. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I didn't know that there was yeah, that many. I think that's, that's how many we, pres we, we presented and then from there it was the vote just uh yeah you know a member vote not as many in fact i understand through my recent process talking to uh the pastor who was the circuit visitor of that circuit was pretty close by to where we're at here um he took a call uh to Minneapolis, but so I, you know the process is you usually call the circuit visitor to not only uh you know, let him know about your call, but also ask for input 
tell me a little bit about the congregation that that's calling me. So mm-hmm. again, you kind of try to see, are you a fit there? Are you going to be uh, helpful there Sure. Uh, with the things that matter to you and, and that kind of stuff? So he, he took a call. He was like out of, out of Dodge City because he's got kids or something like that. He had to get going to get his kids established. But he left very, very quickly. And he said there were 31 vacancies in our district. 31. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's a lot. I mean, some of those are really small churches. Uh, probably these days, a yeah. lot of them can't even have a full-time pastor. So you, you know, you wonder sometimes because I keep hearing out of the seminary that like, I keep hearing, okay, on one hand, there's not enough seminarians going into seminary. On the other hand, there are too many seminarians and they don't have positions coming out. Right. Some of them don't get a call. Right. Or for calls. So like not right. all of them get calls. And so it kind of like, you know, you think well, what, I which think is a lot it? of these, I think a lot of it is that there are many, many uh, churches now that just can't afford to call a full-time pastor. That's it right there. That's exactly what it, and it's, na- it's nationwide. You know, we all hear of those one or two uh, churches that are even in LCMS circles, we're not mega churches, but um, are big enough that maybe they have even more than one pastor and multiple staff, school, all of that. But those are becoming less and less the norm. We're very much, and, and frankly, I'll even go further. This is not just a, a, a LCMS problem. This is a national trend. Sure. As church attendance declines, uh, church participation declines, all of it. So and, uh, it's going to be increasingly uh, uh, challenging, I think, for the church, which, you know, to find, you know, uh, be able to support, because, I mean, the worker's worthy of his hire, you, you need to make a living at what you're doing. You've gone to school a long time. People expect you to be on call when they need you. You're trying to develop and, and cultivate spiritual growth uh, in your people, but also point the congregation in the direction you feel God has has led you to lead them. Sure. Uh, this is, I believe, the pastoral office, and I guess everybody's got different definitions. So, right. maybe who knows? Maybe the maybe maybe the pastoral office is going to be itself redefined, which I think would be a sad thing. Speaking as a not just as a pastor, this is not just uh, you know uh, self self glorying, but um, what I believe Scripture says and our confessions say well, about the importance of the office. Let me flip it around just a bit. Okay, because I do believe that a pastor needs to be properly educated and vetted before they take it before they take a call. But um, looking at scripture and how pastors were made in that in in that first century church, and how pastors are made today, do you think it's a higher standard? I believe it's a higher, much higher standard today than it was then. It is. And I know that's been talked about a lot. at seminaries and in synod and district, and, and pastors have too. Um, my honest answer to that is I have been one that has advocated for a streamlined approach. I mean, at, when I went through it, it's an eight-year program, minimum. You need to have your Bachelor of Arts, so you have your four-year degree, a college, university degree, and then an additional four years of seminary. So not only is that uh, time prohibitive, but it's also very expensive. Uh, I don't know how it is now, but it's when over, I went through, it's over a hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy! For, uh, wow, for four years for four years at seminary. We just uh, uh, not well, not just. Uh, I think about three years, four years ago, helped a young man in our congregation uh, through seminary. Sure, and it was seventy-two 
72,000. We helped him with about half of that, which was, I think, very, uh, very helpful and generous. And I spoke in favor of it because it's crazy money. So you're going into a job that starts at usually very low pay. And, and a lot of guys come out with debt and uh, congregations may want to, but can't help with that. And maybe some don't want to, they figure, oh, well, you're a servant of the Lord, deal with it. Um, so yeah, you, you, you know, it's, that's part of the problem. Oh. I think, I think we can figure out a way and there's, there are, there are alternative routes to ordination right now, at least in our um, district. Though, yeah. Those are closing. They're, from what I understand, they're not. They're, well, it used to be called like colloquy, you know, you well, had they're, some there, yeah, but they're not yeah colloquy, but you, you've got to, you've got to be educated and coming right. in from a different denomination. Well, uh, one of the things I'm seeing happen in, in our area, and at first it kind of, you know, you figure, well, I went to school eight years and, you know, I put all that time in, I paid my dues, but you know what? I got to say, when, you, when, when I look at it from the standpoint of the good of the church and that there aren't people uh, that have that level of education to step into these churches, some of them are literally maybe hanging five on, or 10 people. Well, they're hanging five on or 10, by a thread. Hanging on by a thread. There's yeah. no way they're going to be able to support a pastor with a family, especially moving to Southern California. Right. So, okay. So the, our district, I guess this district, maybe it's in, it has these, like, I used to call them worker priests where they have like a part-time job and they have a part-time ministry well, isn't or it, maybe. Isn't it deacon? Like, a, okay. That's another. Yeah. Like a there's lay, a lot of. Like a, not a lay deacon, but a deacon that's actually certified by. There's the word. Yeah. And, and so and this raises, the thing is that they have to spend the same kind of money and, and go through the same kind of education. Well, and, not always. Sometimes, sometimes they're, I'm not sure what it is. So I'm not in a position to speak with any authority for anybody listening out there. If I screw this up, but there is some education involved where they they take classes sometimes online. Maybe they meet with a pastor or something, but it's very, very streamlined and, and, and short well, process. There's some kind of testing and yeah. then they're put, but here's the thing. When they're done, they usually are put into a congregation that's usually very small, but they can't go anywhere else. They, they cannot take a call right. to another church. Yeah. And some of these guys are ordained. And, you use and, the word certified. Right, um, I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. anybody cares what's the difference anymore. But I'll tell you that, number one, they're looked down on from hmm. from pastors that have mdivs and that you know i i don't i maybe the, no maybe. i know i know but i they, don't but i think by and large to look down on they don't, they're not wanted by the the larger majority okay of I, you know what i do get a sense uh, there is one guy that i know yeah that he was not kind of invited to the reindeer games <laughs> yeah. you know and i thought that was sad because this guy i think he was doing his best right. but you but you look at you look at paul right and timothy and you you look at you look at like, okay, how is it supposed to go? You're, you're, you, you know, you, you have a, you have a, a young, uh, a young person or, or some, somebody that should train under a pastor to right. a certain point and then, and then be, and then let that pastor can say he's ready to go, you know, into a, into a yeah. congregation. It shouldn't be this, you know, like I under, I get it. You got to know Greek. You got to, you got to know Hebrew. You got to know the original languages. I, I get that there's some education that's involved so that you can, you know, you can look at the original text and you can, you know. Sure. You, well, that's part of the sermon preparation sure. Bible study too. But I, I get there's, there's some of that, but it seems like um, 
with it with the costs rising higher and higher and higher and right that that there needs to be a biblical more of a biblical approach to it yeah well like i said we i haven't maybe, fleshed maybe, it out but i think i'm on board with you here brother maybe a vicarage there, should be already done before the person even gets to the point where they're studying right. hebrew and yeah hebrew. You know what i mean? think we i think we can do it quicker than the eight-year program that i went through in the 80s yeah um just for cost, for time, for, and and uh, what the, the that person's able to do. Some of the some of the problem is, I think, is, um, you know, well, scripture. You mentioned scripture about you know Paul and Timothy, and Titus. That's a pretty good model. But yeah, but that was Paul. <laughs> you know, what about Jesus and the twelve? Man, I'd sign on for three years with Jesus, and I'm ready to go. You know, let the Holy Spirit fall on me at Pentecost. What else do I need? Three years is yeah. Here I come. Well, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be willing to be beat, beaten in. But yeah, but that, but that's yeah, but that's Jesus <laughs> and that's Paul. Yeah, instead teachers. of Paul and Sia, or instead of uh, Paul and Silas, it could have been uh, uh, Pat and Dave. You know, <laughs> all beat up, hanging uh, by hanging by our hanging our by arms. our skivvies. Yeah, underneath, yeah. upside down, in a prison. You know, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Anyway, so I mean, uh, those are some of the models, but. Even the nomenclature uh, in the New Testament is so varied and layered. I mean, you got a, a overseer, episcopoi, you know, the, the bishop, you know, um, a pastor, teacher, evangelist, um, apostle. Um, so, I mean, it's hard sometimes to pin these things down scripturally. What exactly? There is some, I think there is a biblical precedent for the laying on of hands. That's where I, that's my go-to, the laying on of hands that those who are already recognized as commissioned or sent to preach the word, to shepherd God's flock, they recognize that quality in somebody else. Maybe they've had a hands-on approach uh, to, to teaching them. Yeah. Maybe they've traveled together. Uh, you know, Paul had, 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 had his travelers, first Barnabas, Silas, and, and, you know, all these kind of things. So, um, you know, there's this laying out of hands by the, the, the one generation to the next. I think that's the, the meaning of this idea of ordination, that you are recognized as one who has been uh, uh, taught and is spiritually mature, has um, the, the gift of the spirit, is apt to teach all the things that, you know, Paul outlines in, in the Timothy and, and Titus passage, you know, that there are qualities that go into the person who gets to stand before the church and speak in the name of Jesus, thus saith the sovereign Lord. You don't just want any Tom, Dick, or Harry that thinks he knows a few Bible passages to just stand up and start spouting. That's not how we do it. And I think that's reckless. Well, but, uh, so but you, there's some there's some vetting that goes yeah, into this. But, but you know, anybody can go to the seminary. You don't well, have that's to true have, too. You know, like, I, if I wanted to go to seminary, um, by all rights, what we're talking about, you should have to approve me to say, hey, David needs to go to seminary. I've asked him to go. He's going, right. and I'm, I'm, I'm basically, uh, you know, I'm basically saying he's he's ready he's ready to become a pastor. Um, but you know, anybody can go to seminary without that. They can go through all the classes. Right. They could get all the grades. They can become a pastor without another pastor or anybody saying that they should they, be one. You know, they could, and and that's the other side of this ordination quality. I mean, LCMS leans on the more Western institutionalized academic approach. And that's why we have schooling. How do you recognize in Western society uh, who's qualified? Well, the number one thing is education. You have a degree. 
that's how we recognize you can do surgery. Uh, you can, uh, you know, uh, teach in a class. You can be a pastor in a church. You have education. And so you have a degree. Is that the only way, though? And is that necessarily uh, the biblical uh, precedent? And frankly, there are many examples where guys were, uh, and one of my favorite guys was Amos. I mean, uh, in the Old Testament, oh, yeah. the prophet, he was a shepherd. He didn't know diddly squat. <laughs> and yet God called him. You're going to be my, my spokesman. And when his job was done, he went back to doing what he was doing. Sure. Now, I know a lot of people are probably pulling their hair out and say, what? you know, you're just destroying the pastoral office. Um, technically, I think the word pastor, uh, well, it means shepherd. That's, mm-hmm. that, that's the meaning Overseer. of the word. Oh, yeah. And, and so basically, if you have a flock, you're a pastor. I mean, if you have people, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have people who are gathered to listen to your teaching. Now, okay, the problem with that now is where then is the oversight? How do we know that that pastor who has not been educated or taught and ordained, meaning recognized by the existing church body, how do we know what he's saying is in fact biblically true? And that's true. You that's the care- danger you when you just say- You have to be careful say, about that. You can't yeah. just have a church- call a guy because hey no. i like the guy the way the guy talks we like him he seems to know a right. little bit no, about the there, bible there needs to be, uh, needs let's to, put him in charge yeah, you know there, there needs to be an official recognition that this, well, this is it has studied under another like i think the way it should be is the biblical model that you know like okay titus and timothy studied under paul Paul has recognized them like as a mentoring as placed them as pastors in churches. He is the overseer of them. They're the overseer of the flock. Okay. You know what I mean? That, Practically though, that's going to be, that would be very, I mean, it, right? it, it would, yeah, it would, it is. And it would be a nice way. I don't know. You know, I don't know how that would work though, in a practical sense. I'm thinking of myself, you know, in full-time ministry, when you've got your responsibilities to your congregation that come up and you're also trying to, on a, an extended, I mean, some pastors have a vicar. Um, I've never had a vicar. I thought it'd be an interesting thing one day, but it just didn't come about. Um, so that's kind of that model, but they're only there for, for a year at, at, at best. No, I guess what I'm saying is, is that like we have a district president that's technically would be oh, a bishop over, the, I gotcha. over the congregations in that, in our yeah. circuit, right? So, right district and then trickles down a circuit yeah so i i don't know I, it's I'm supposed just, to be happening that way but i don't know yeah i don't know if it's just again too many people to I keep track of like you said i think it's like you said it's it's we've made it too westernized and it, we've gotten away from the biblical model very academic yeah, yeah very institutionalized and right. i think we do that because that's the way we do things in western society and you know it Again, administratively, it makes sense. It's like almost like organizing, uh, kind of like a military structure where there's a, the, the general and then all the different ranks below. And the general may not actually hang out with the privates. Probably he doesn't at all, but he hangs out with his next down the line and so forth. So I think we assume that there's some oversight and supervision but I think in practicality, it doesn't really happen all that much. And this is not a critique or a criticism. It's just a statement of fact. And so I don't know if it's, again, just too many or it's hard administratively to do that. Uh, but, um, you know, I think that's why they changed the name, actually. When I was when I was in pastor, oh, it was um, 
circuit counselor. It was always circuit counselor. And somewhere along the line, Synod changed it very deliberately to circuit visitor. And you're supposed to visit your churches. Well, if you're a pastor of your own church, how can you visit other churches on Sunday morning? You have to be in the pulpit yourself. Sure. So unless you're a retired circuit visitor, um, so maybe that's yeah, so maybe that that's the role. Maybe maybe a lot of sense. It, it, it can't happen. So you don't know you don't know what's being preached on Sunday morning. You don't know what's going on in those congregations. I think very few of us really know what other congregations are doing. And that's a sad thing because some of our congregations, I'm very proud of the things our congregation was doing. And, and that I think probably nobody in the district knew about because we don't go around tooting our horn. So how, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, yeah. uh, What this has to do with, you know, how you become a pastor is kind of a little bit, we're on a tangent, but it's just, I guess we're talking about how we structure uh, the church and it's been, you know, uh, there's many different models that churches, you know, the Catholic obviously have a very hierarchical from the Pope down archbishop, bishop, almost a military style, and where things are dictated from the powers on high. Lutherans are more grassroots. We're very autonomous. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we have a district president. Yes, we have a synodical president, but it's all very voluntary. I mean, there's not really any grit to any of these positions. They right. can't do anything. We're, I mean, if it gets bad enough, you can say, well, you can't be a part of the synod, but I don't know how often that happens. And, and we're, we're, because, I don't know, because we've been a church in America too long. We're more, we're more of a democracy in the way things function. And that kind of, maybe we can shift gears a little bit because that, that brings up a, a good question is, is it seems like in, it, even in the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, which we're a part of is that the lay people want to do more pastoral functions than okay. Yeah. They 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 want to distribute communion. They want to they want to uh, they run a read scripture during worship services. And I mean, and, and I think all of these things historically pastors did primarily. Pre, pre, yeah, I guess. I mean, we're both old enough and uh, being in the church. Yeah, I, I think growing up, I very very young age, very rarely saw a layperson anywhere near the chancel. It was the pastor ran the show. He not only preached, but he read all the scriptures and was involved with the distribution. And over time, I remember seeing just different, uh, you know, where, where lay people started getting more involved and, you know, helping with, like you mentioned, uh, distribution and scripture. Uh, well, ushering was always a part of it uh, and, and altar guild, certainly, but m- more of a role, more of a role. I, again, I'll only say for myself, I am not threatened by that. I know it's um, everybody has a different understanding of, of the uniqueness of the pastoral office. Kind of where, where I draw my lines, brother, is, is the pastor is obviously called to preach. So he delivers the word. Um, absolution, that's another one. Mm-hmm. And a consecration, that's another one. That's unique. Nobody does that, but the called and ordained servant of the word. And for me, and I know uh, this may not be agreed by everybody else, but for me, one of the big deal for me is the benediction. I really put my heart into that. I I just, to me, it's, it's one of the most beautiful, it's, it's a conclusion of the service in many ways, but it's always been something that I consider to be unique to my office as pastor Mm. that I'm delivering God's final blessing and is right out of the words of scripture. 
it's the uh, erotic uh, blessing out of numbers. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. And, the, and I, I stand my arms as far as I can stretch them. And I'm trying to deliberately uh, invoke the image of the cross of Jesus bearing uh, the sins of the world and my people's sins and my sins on the cross. So I stretch my arms out as wide as I can. I say it with loud and clear. I pause in between, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. I really think that's a beautiful thing. So I, that's something too. Outside of those areas of absolution, consecration, preaching, I'm okay. Personally, I'm okay with, uh, you know, well, um, uh, lay people being involved. Okay, so serving communion, for example, because the Augsburg Confession states, it is taught among us that nobody should publicly teach or preach or administer the sacraments in the church without a regular call. So. Ah. We, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, article I'm a big advocate. I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big advocate of uh, that the pastor preaches on Sunday morning. The pastor yeah. teaches the word of God to his teaches people. the Bible. Yeah, yeah, and that's a and, pastor and thing. That they administer the sacraments. Now I know as you know, we've gone away yeah. from the common cup and we've gone now to where we're now we're individual, like individual shot glass, shot glasses. There's like, you know, it's like, you know, we have to have. Uh, gluten-free wafers and we've got all this stuff going on that, <laughs> yeah. the, the, yeah. that, that the assistants have have grown to to, to accommodate all of that accommodate all that all of these things and where does all this, of that consumer preference where does it start and stop because you know yeah. I, as I personally i i would rather receive communion from from my pastor and not another lay person both kind i mean both the kind. host and the cup okay yeah, and, and you're going to be standing there a little longer well it'd be fine with me like <laughs> i mean you know, it takes church, time well the church we're going to now the pastor could do all of those things without there being a, a huge delay because okay. there's, not, there's just not that many members. Yeah. So, and, and that's, you know, maybe that's, maybe this is the argument. Maybe we should be making our churches smaller so that, yeah, that, that people aren't in such a rush that you, a pastor could do it. When you get into a certain number of people, it becomes just, you know, pragmatically problematic. Again, how do you get this all distributed in a, a certain amount of time. No, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I was, and, and I was an elder under you, I helped serve. Right. Communion. So right. I wasn't put off by that. And um, you know, was, every I church is like different. I was, just, I was just assisting you and, and you always well, dismiss the tables. Exactly. Uh, you, you, you I consecrated, were, you consecrated, you, you uh, dismissed, you, you gave the host and then the, the two kinds of, you know, the, the common cup and the individual vials, you had two assistants. They right. were always male assistants, which I think is keeping with scripture. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, so we, we would, we would distribute the wine and then you would bless the table. I would dismiss them with a blessing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and I thought, it, well, in what? a sense though, you're under, probably you're under my supervision. Sure. So, I mean, you weren't just winging it. I was there Again, kind of, and I hate to put it running the show because that's not how I see the pastoral office, but somebody's got to be in charge. That's the question yeah. ultimately behind a lot of this is who's in charge? And, and that question will always plague. I don't care if it's American politics or the American church. Who's in charge? The question, the conundrum of authority. And I think most, most lay people understand the pastoral office in certain areas, and certainly this is one of them. Con communion, I don't think anybody argues the point 
well, maybe they do, but nobody I know argues the point that, hey, the pastor is the one officiating uh, the sacrament. He's, according to what you just read, you know, the Article 14 of uh, Augustana, you know, regularly called. Um, so, yeah, and that's for, and that goes back to the First Corinthians, uh, you know, passage about that everything be done decently and in good order. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Lutherans are about and, and, and uh, God is about. You don't want church to be a free-for-all where everybody's just doing what they want. That was Corinthians again, where they were getting drunk at communion. People were going hungry. Others were being gluttons. And Paul had to rein it in and said, look, discern the body. This is, this is given and shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what this is about. So I guess, um, you know, how this pertains on the issue of called and ordained and who gets to participate, uh, everybody's going to have maybe that nuance to it. But I think as long as the person who is in, recognized in charge is the one who has been called to do so, yeah. we're, we're in pretty safe territory. Right. I mean, a pastor is called to preach the word and distribute the, the elements right. properly. And, right. and the congregation is called to be, a, be receivers of that gift. Right. Uh, and, and so, but there are, I think there are more and more, it seems to me, and especially out here in the East, where, um, you know, women's rights are kind of, you know, forefront, mm. um, that women should be able to do some of kind of a kind of a foot in the door towards women's uh, ordination. And, Is that your worry? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, that I think I think that that might be some of what's going on. But that um, women should be should be publicly upfront and present in the, the uh. service even because, because they can't be pastors. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, just to kind of, I don't know, uh, give them some kind of recognition. Here's, uh, here's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's not a public recognition. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a good idea. And again, we go back to, um, we go back to the garden of Eden and, and Adam not protecting Eve from, from the serpent. And, you know, uh, I think we're doing the same thing. I think men are the blame is that when, when, when they don't fill these offices that are necessary as mm. like, say, for example, elders or deacons or whatever you want to call them. Um, the, and, and women have to fill that vacuum, that void. Sure. Yeah. Um, men are the blame because they're mm. not stepping up and fulfilling those offices, which they should, they should fulfill. I remember my first church in Chicago, fresh out of seminary, we had a, a woman president. This is, uh, well, Chicago, I already said, but, um, and she was so, so apologetic. And it's like, it was a real sweet lady. And she was very competent. I said, you know, hey, t- take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, let's, let, let's, let's work together here. And I got along really well with her. But that, I remember her very distinctly saying, Pastor, I want you to know that none of the men, and they were asked, none of the men wanted to step up and take this position. They didn't want to take uh, any, any leadership role. And so something had to be done. And so I assumed that role. And I know sometimes, too, pastors are put in this position of more administrative leadership when there's no lay people that are stepping into that role. Things got to get done. Sure. I mean, the church has to, decisions have to be made, recommendations given that's just that's just life that's business as as usual so sometimes you step into roles because you have to Mm -hmm. not because you want to 
Right. And so maybe that's, maybe there's some truth to what you're saying is that it's not necessarily some sort of, uh, you know, a uh, feminist imperative here. Yeah. It's just that, look, these are women who are godly and servants of the Lord, and they see that nobody's doing anything or stepping up, and they want to help. Yeah. And and God bless them for that spirit of servant servanthood. Yeah, and it doesn't help either that our synod, whenever political winds change, uh, that we're schizophrenic on the roles of women. Oh. You know, we go one administration wants to go full steam, uh, you know, yeah. ordination and the next administration then backs full off. And so, you know, it, it's a confusing message is you know, what does God say? Right. And again, I mean, you, you, you go administration to administration and, uh, you know, I think it's true. All translators are traitors because they bring, <laughs> they bring their biases, they bias to, yeah. to what they're in, to what they're interpreting. You know, we talked about that earlier though, brother, when we said, you know, that in spite of us, the Holy Spirit is at work and the call process is imperfect and the church is imperfect, at least the visible one, uh, the one that we live and breathe and worship in. And and maybe this whole thing too, this goes back to it just, again, kind of who's in charge, administration, uh, institutionalization. And I mean, I get what you're saying. There, there's a lot of things too that if, if I were in charge, you know, this is how I would do it. But, you know, I, I guess it's just the way it's going to be. We've, we, the, the art of ministry I have found in, in my years of wisdom, the, the art of ministry between, is between navigating the space in between the way that it is and the way that it should be. And it's never going to be the way it should be, not until we get no. into heaven. No, it's because so, we're, we're a bunch of sinners. Right. <laughs> so sometimes we have to figure out you know, the best we can do with what we're given. And I know for guys like you and me who care about what God, God's word says, we care about what the Bible says. We read our Bibles. We care about what the Lutheran confession actually says, and we try to do it, but you don't see necessarily that being understood or supported in the church at large. And it creates that tension. And, you know, we see the world changing all around us and the church trying to sometimes chase after that. And we should be better than this. Mistake. And so it, it, yeah, it creates this kind of frustration in, in, in us. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, I've got this down either. Cause I, I definitely still uh, carry uh, uh, frustrations, but less and less. So less and less, uh, you know, I, you know, I guess maybe this is the wisdom of, of experience or old age, or maybe it's senility where you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, I, you know, some of this doesn't matter as much as maybe I thought. And somehow, in spite of it all, the church prevails. The gates of hell won't prevail against us. And maybe this isn't the best way or the right way, but God's gospel, the gospel is still being preached. That, that to me, I guess more and more, where I dig my heels in, is nobody is going to tell me what I can preach or not. Hmm. Nobody is going to interfere with that, that message of God's word. My sermon primarily, but also to a large extent in my Bible classes. So, you know, and, it, and that sounds kind of maybe in one sense defeatist that, oh, really? So everything else goes? No, that's not what I'm saying. I, re- I realize right and wrong, but I also realize it's a process to educate people and bring them up. You don't deny food to a child while it's learning to eat. Sure. So even though there are things that are imperfect in the church and the way things are done and how pastors go places and how churches call them and what the role of women are and what the one, you know, the, what men should be better leaders. 
somehow, in spite of it all, if the gospel is being preached in its truth and purity, and that to me is the spirit of the call. Yes, it's the sacraments with that. But I think that's where I draw direction from that uh, Article 14, is that nobody can preach or administer the sacraments. That's it. Word and sacrament ministry, unless they are regularly called. That right there is why the church will always need pastors. And without, somebody that, who, without, without that, there's no church. There's no church. If there's not somebody up there whom God has sent to preach the word and make sure communion is being offered as the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, there is no church. So the other stuff counts. The other stuff matters. But that's, that's ground zero for the church's identity. It's not building. It's not programs. It's not activities. It's that the gospel is being mm. preached and yes. the sacraments are being administered. And that's why I believe there are pastors, and there always will be. And that's how the Holy Spirit works to build the church yeah. of Christ. That's how he does it. And we argue about the rest. <laughs> you know? Yeah, a and lot of we it get is... frustrated with sure. each other, and we say, screw this, man, I'm done. And yeah, all of people, that. Yeah, I guess yeah, some, some people just, uh, they don't. I think what it comes down to sometimes is that there's human tradition that's bound up in a lot of it, number one. But also number two is that is that instead of, uh, you know, we want to, instead of God making us in, in his image, we want to make him in our image. Right. And we, we, yeah. we basically. I've learned say, that from you. So you've taught me that. Yeah, that's a good, that's so a good, we, like, good way of looking at it. I don't like it. that. So my God, you know, like, I don't like what it says about women, you know, uh, for example, uh, learning in all submissiveness and, you know, and not, not taking a leadership role, for example. Mm, right. Okay. Yeah. You know, just what they want to, what they need to learn. They need, they need to, they need to learn in all submissiveness. And they, I don't like that. That's, that can't be God. That can't be. God yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that maybe. doesn't jive with or, modern Just for example, thinking. there's other things too, but uh, it, it, it seems like, uh, that we, we just we want to we want to be cafeteria Christians, right? We want to be sure. We want to pick and choose mortgage like. board Christians. Yeah, yeah, that's what I call it. Sometimes just pick the parts we like and ignore the rest. And that's not a balanced diet. Not when it comes no. to well, know, I guess that's not scripture. That's not preaching or teaching the whole counsel of God either. Right. Yeah. And you know, and that's why I guess we need a whole lifetime uh, to figure this out and grow in this grace because. Uh, you know, I, I think, again, just where I was at as a young pastor, where I'm at today as an older pastor, and uh, I know I've, I've uh, changed, but I also know I've grown. And uh, there's, you know, wisdom that has come along the way, but I, I still have things to learn. And I, I like that. I don't see that as a, as a fault. I see that as a, actually an, um, not only an honest admission, but a necessary uh, part of the humility of the pastoral office that there's things that you need to learn and, and things that you can still uh, grow in. And uh, that's why I know I'm not done. And God has called me new, to a new place. And uh, I'm excited for that opportunity to grow with them and to wrestle with God over issues. And why are we yeah. here, Lord? And, you know, it's well, tough. This is tough, Lord. You know, you didn't give us what we need and where is everybody and all of the things that we're going to yeah. wrestle with in the church today. But, you know, as long as we preach the gospel and administer the sacraments, somehow the Holy Spirit's going to 
yeah, work through that. It's tough being a pastor. I'll tell you, it's just, I mean, there's days, I, I, I don't there's know days. personally, but I've seen, I've, I've witnessed the, the toughness that, that comes with that position. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not easy. And it's not an easy job. And, uh, you know, one day you'll hear, you'll hear from Jesus himself. Well, you know, uh, you've done well, good and faithful servant and yeah. enter into well, your Lord's joy. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a weird, it's just a weird profession. It really is. Um, uh, you, you did so many different expectations uh, on your time and what you're supposed to do and what it means to be a pastor to your people. And everybody's got their, you know, their definition of it. And uh, so, I mean, it's like having however many people are in your church. And not only that, but at least the way I do ministry, they're friends and relatives too. I mean, it's like you got all these bosses and everybody expects different things and, and from you and you're getting all this different input and, and you're trying to sift through this. And yet most people still look to the pastor as kind of the guy in charge. They may not mean it really, but you know, when they want you to be, you're the guy in charge or you're the, you're the go-to guy, you're the pastor. So of course, you know, somebody comes off the street, visits the, the church, you know, they ask for the pastor. You know, because that's perceived, he's the guy that God, you know, has, has put up front and in charge. And so you're, you know, you're put, you're put in a lot of situations sometimes that you really don't want to be in. Frankly, I tell you, brother, sometimes all I want to do is preach. You know, just, I, I just want to, in fact, I tell, I have a member of my church, uh, a blessed guy. He calls me preacher and I tell him I love him for it. He doesn't call me pastor, or reverend, he calls me preacher. And I remember another member before him that used to do the same thing. She was a lady, I think she's originally from Oklahoma. And so maybe that's what they did. Preacher. Hey, preacher. Yeah. And I, I go, I love that. I mean, I'm, yeah, that's what I am. I'm a preacher. I preach the word of God. Yeah. And, but you know what? Nobody's going to want to pay you full-time salary to preach a sermon on Sunday. <laughs> and then I'll see you next week, everybody. Yeah, have a you, good day. You have to so go you're trying to ten, find, go by yeah. 10, go from town to town. <laughs> So you're trying to find ways to, you know, to engage your community, to help your people, uh, you know, to teach Bible studies. But when people aren't into that, then you're asking yourself, what am I here for then? You know, because I want to preach and well, and with that teach, you know, so it is it is a hard job sometimes because you never, you know, you're always wondering, you know, are you uh, uh, meeting that 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 need? You know, you know, you're on 24 hour call. And most people know that, but then a lot of people don't know what you're doing uh, between Sunday and Sunday. So then you get, you know, to your gossip and criticism and it's like, eh, you know, what do you want of me people? You know, I can't move into your house and be at your beck and call as your private chaplain. You know, I'm there for you and you should know that by now. So yeah, it, it, it is, it is. I don't know. You know, I, I've thought myself, would I do anything different? And so far, I keep coming. I mean, there's days where I think, yeah, uh, I should have, I should have pursued my art interest. I should have been an artist. Uh, but then there's days where you think, you know, Lord, what a privilege it is. In spite of the, the the tough times, what a privilege it is to speak before your people this precious good news. And it's that gospel, brother, that gets me up Sunday morning yeah. and keeps me trying again. Okay, I'm gonna get up, dust the dust off. And and try to try again, Lord, to point the way of of what it means to follow you, who are the way, the truth, and the life. It's different. It's, it's a um, different kind of job. Yeah, it's living and active, sharper than a yeah 
yeah edged sword right that word it helps you know it's all and god always gives you those and, and it's individuals usually god always gives you those individuals that you just know that at the end of your life you mattered and that you touched somebody in a way that has eternal consequences and god used you in a way to help them not only through a tough time but give them the hope of everlasting life and even if it may be i can count them on one hand i think i got a few more than that but not many but people that i just know that i have had a profound influence on their life i, I cherish oh, that oh i know it yeah that that makes it worth it yep. you know you want to think you're doing that for everybody but you know you're not half of the people or more than half of the people aren't really tuned in uh literally to anything you're saying and you can go you know a quarter of a century and realize people really haven't and listening to what you've been saying. Well, I guess that's but for those said, few that have, it makes it worth it. Right. That the, there are hypocrites that are sewn in with the, the true believers. They're just distracted by, you know, Satan's very good at distracting people and making them look at other things and think about other things. And what the church is, is something else. What the pastor yeah. offers is, is something else than what it is biblically. And so, yeah, it, it, it just, it's just part of it. So again, from the Augsburg Confession, I'm going to end with this uh, paragraph here. The public ministry is not a human invention, but has been established by God for the building up of his church here on earth. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that it is the exalted Christ who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. When he like spoke that. to the pastors of the churches in Ephesus, Paul said, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among with the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God where he purchased that he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. Notice how the apostle reveals that this call to lead the flock comes from God, the Holy Spirit. Wow. Amen. That's humbling. You know, and that's what you who, do. Brother. Who's worthy of that? I mean, Lord, you know, equip me. Uh, well, he calls the lowly, doesn't he? I mean, <laughs> I know, uh, I know we revere Abraham, but Abraham, when God yeah. called him, was an idolater. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he, most of the people, you know, so. I think. I like that. That's a great passage, brother. Thank you for that. It's a divine institution. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. It is very much so. God established his church and he put shepherds in charge that his word would always be heard and his sacrament always available. And that's my task. And I'm stick with it. At least, you know, and you got so God tells now, me you otherwise. Got, you got a new adventure. Yeah. What, what an awesome deal. Well, hey. Yeah, I think so too. All right, well, let's end on that note. So thanks all for all who were listening to us today. And we hope that you uh, learned a little bit about the call process and how pastors uh, do their job here in the Lutheran Church. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on our next broadcast. Pastor, yeah. I love you, man. Love you and too, brother. We'll be talking to you soon. All right, dude. God bless. God bless you.